Mindful Self-Indulgence contains adult language, content, and spoilers for the topic at hand. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Mark. Let's talk about Jim Henson's Muppets. So Mark, 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 hey Mark. Yes. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Introduce yourself. Uh, who Who are you? What do you do? Where? What? What might people know you from? Sure. So, uh, I work primarily a boring but important government job that I never talk about on podcasts because no one wants to hear about boring office jobs on a podcast. But the cool stuff that I do is largely in the podcast space. So I'll take a quick minute here since you've given me (laughs) the opportunity. I run a tiny little podcast house called Retrograde Orbit Radio. We have about a half a dozen shows. I rarely get on mic. I'm on one of them. That is a podcast about the Hercules and Xena programs from the late 1990s. I always feel a little weird plugging myself, but you can go to to retrogradeorbitradio.com and and look up our stuff. Other than that, I'm just like you. I'm a 30-some-year-old white dude, so <laughs> podcasting is is it's what we all have to do now, right? I think it's right. we covered it in the last like white guy quarterly meeting. Yeah, I think they take away our white card if we don't if we don't do this right. in our 30s. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I know each other though indirectly because of a generously we'll say mediocre and short-lived pop punk band uh, from the early 2000s yes well uh uh, man would you call it would you call it pop punk is it more synth pop i don't know i don't know what it was yeah synth pop is probably probably more fair but we met on an internet message board back when that was a a thing that you did i guess Uh, And we have been in more or less touch over the years and sort of recently reacquainted and in the process discovered that we are maybe secretly the same person. Yeah, I think I think me and you are are, we're actually just one one soul across two bodies, apparently. (laughs) So this podcast may be extra navel gazely because it might just secretly be Dallas talking to himself. Yeah, who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've we've known each other for. Uh, about half our half my life at least uh so yeah. far but we wow. haven't we weren't super close back then and i think we've we're probably i, I think within these last like few months we're, we've been closer than we have ever been over the course of that like 15 year period yeah i think that's very fair to say it's really fun i am at the stage in my life where i rarely make new friends because i'm a uh grown and married man who has a child in my mid thirties, which I think is past the point in life where you make new friends. Like you just, (laughs) I'm just locked into what I've got. Uh, And while we knew each other before, so you don't entirely classify as a new friend. It really has been like making a new grown up friend and it's been really fun. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, It's, it's been real nice getting to know you. (laughs) 
And yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we're we're here to talk about the Muppets, which is um, amongst us being the same person is a thing that we both kind of grew up doing. My uh, <laughs> my dad was the like puppet minister. I don't know what the fucking word would for it would be. Um, <laughs> it's weird to use minister. Puppet and, ministry is a term I have absolutely heard. So yeah. we'll go with that. Uh, he did the puppet stuff at church when I was a kid. Um, and as a result, the Muppets were on a lot at our house. Um, mm. So it was a lot of like the, the 90s Muppet movies, uh, the 80s Muppet movies, some of the 70s <laughs> Muppet movies. Um, sure. All in, all, all while I was growing up, of course, Sesame Street. Um, Fraggle is, is a blind spot for me, honestly. Like every time I see something from Fraggle, I enjoy it, but it's not something that I was, I, that I kept up with while it was like on air. Or while it was in, well, in the zeitgeist, Fraggle Rock aired on HBO, so it was kind of premier television. Ah, okay. And I think yeah. for that reason, it's a gap for a lot of us. Uh, I had, and this is a, a weird story, but true. In the time that Fraggle Rock was running, my family made a major move. We moved from Ohio to Texas, and I was a young kid. And one of my dad's friends and coworkers, who was a neighbor to us in the crappy apartment complex that we lived in, had HBO, and I would watch Fraggle Rock when we'd go over to have dinner with them. <laughs> so that is how I experienced Fraggle Rock. Awesome. So that's how you found Fraggle <laughs> Rock. How did you? How did you find them? Just the Muppets in like in general, the whole umbrella of. Of of Jim Hen- Jim Henson's work, just in general. Sure. So, my parents have kind of quirky senses of humor. At least my mother does. My dad developed his sense of humor maybe a little later in life, but my mom was always drawn to the Muppets, and so I found them through her. I think primarily because of Sesame Street, which was a, a big thing going when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But also because, and this is very true, I was a, I imagine like most two-year-olds, my mom swears extra. I was a very energetic kid. I was, I was hard to stay on top of. And so when I was a kid, my mom would take me to movies because movies fascinated me. Sure. And they still do. This is still the relationship I have with cinema. I, I believe that there is magic in movies. And I think it's important to go to the cinema to see movies because I think there's a sort of communal mm-hmm humanitarian fellowship Uh that we don't get in a lot of places that movies give us. And I think maybe that was instilled in me because I started going to the movie theater when I was, I don't know, a year old. What was when I was two years old, I can pinpoint it Uh, because according to my mother, the first movie I ever saw was the Muppets take Manhattan. Nice. Which came out in 1984. So I don't remember it. I I certainly, I was two years old. My mom just took me to the movies because she discovered that I would kind of shut up and fixate on the the big screen for a couple of hours and she could sort of steal a nap in the movie theater. Yeah, I imagine so. But consequently, the Muppets have been a part of my brain since before I started really forming whole memories, right? So, you know, there are some things like family members that, that you don't remember not knowing. Sure. They've just always been a part of your life. And so you you don't have memories of how this person became a part of your life or how this thing became a part of your life because it's always been there. Mm-hmm. And that are the, that's what the Muppets are to me. They've legitimately always been in my life. I don't remember 
discovering the Muppets because I cannot remember a time when I didn't know who the Muppets were. Sure. So that's kind of, I guess that's, that's my introduction. A lot of, (laughs) a lot of Sesame street, but to be honest, Fraggle rock was also a, a growing concern when I was a young lad. So Fraggle rock was doing its thing when I was, pre-grade school and early grade school so as much as sesame street informed me fraggle rock was really my first solid purchase with the muppets Uh, it is the one that really got a toehold in my brain sure and then years and years and years past that uh this is just i presume this is true there's a couple of years between us i presume this is true for when you were a kid as well the muppet show was in heavy syndication when i was young So you could catch it in repeats on, I don't know, like Nick at Night and that sort of programming. Yeah, I don't remember what channel was on, but I do remember watching syndicated uh, programming of The Muppet Show whenever I was a kid. Um, (laughs) And and I would be remiss if I did not also share that I also grew up on The Muppet Babies. I adored The Muppet Babies. They were very formative to a young me. So... Yeah, the I also grew up with the Muppet Babies, and when they brought it back, my niece uh, was living with our family for a bit. Uh, when she okay. was here, she was watching the new iteration of the Muppet Babies, and uh, there's like this new like I can't I don't remember her name because I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it because and also because there was a summer. screaming summer the penguin yes there's a screaming toddler <laughs> so forgive me um, yeah uh, yeah like the new penguin lady is like she's great. But like I was also going like where where's where's Skeeter and um where's more importantly I was like where's Rolf where where's my dog yeah where's Rolf at <laughs> I had that same reaction and the new Muppet Babies is I mean it's geared for an even younger audience than the cartoon show we grew up on it's a for it's sure. a toddler program mm-hmm. but Rolf is as much as everyone remembers Kermit. And rightfully so, as the both the leader and the heart of the Muppets, Rolf is the character on which Jim Henson made his bones initially. Rolf is, in a lot of ways, the spiritual godfather of the Muppets. Ooh. So Kermit's been around since like public access days. Before he was a frog, he was just a weird-shaped puppet on a public access program. So he's Kermit is OG, mm-hmm. but... The stuff that Jim Henson initially broke out with, what brought him onto a national audience was Rolf in like commercial spots and on talk shows. That kind of wry Rolf humor is really where the Muppets started kind of gaining cultural cachet at a national level. So it's really. And this is a conversation we can get into later as well, because after Jim died, Nobody could voice Rolf. Rolf just became silent for better than a decade. And oh, the yeah. Muppets just are not right without that dog. They just aren't. And and I agree with you. The new Muppet Babies just, it lacks for his presence. I think so. So the three that I'm, I've been inexplicably drawn to are Rolf, Gonzo, and Animal were the three that have always, and for whatever reason, kind of uh, captured my imagination as a kid. And still now are the ones that I'm drawn to. Like, <laughs> Gonzo is just so, so fucking weird. And yeah, 
and and animal was like the like the like big hairy drummer and like like i grew up playing drums so obviously that's that's where my mind's gonna sure Uh, rolf i don't like i don't know if i could put a full like a, a whole like i don't know why i was drawn to rolf but like there's there's definitely there's some amount of the soul of those characters is instilled into that yeah. character. And even though I didn't know all the stuff that you just mentioned about Rolf and Henson, um, cause I don't have a degree in Muppetology. I'm just a kid who grew <laughs> up with that stuff and has long right. since lapsed a lot of my knowledge about it. Um, but still has an appreciation for the characters. Uh, yeah, there was just, there, there's a warmth to that character and there's in, in very few lines you get that character like i think and people often will equate jim henson and kermit the frog Mm -hmm. for very obvious reasons and there's a ton of jim in kermit as well but rolf is the closest to jim's voice kind of outright at least as far as i hear it uh and i think there's a lot of jim henson so jim as a as a dude is a very was a very laid-back guy almost a little shy in places Mm -hmm. Uh, and and Kermit is kind of Jim's best face in a lot of ways, but Rolf's kind of laid back poise, I think, has a lot of Jim's personality to it. I really that character means, and I, and I, I, I will get into a lot of my thoughts on the post Jim era Muppets, but I think more than anything, the lack of Rolf really, really hurt them. Sure, and I know they have somebody voicing him now. Um, I don't remember life of me the name of the person doing it but i know somebody did eventually take that character over that is bill beretta who joined the muppets ah uh, when jim so kind of immediately post jim his family took over running the muppets and uh jim's son did a few brian jim's son brian did a few kind of new characters but he doesn't have a big vocal range, so he didn't take over any of Jim's characters. But Bill Beretta was a good friend of Brian Henson, and he came in, he worked on uh, the Dinosaurs program. Oh, sure. And he really made a number of characters his own in uh, Muppets Tonight, that kind of short-lived revival of the Muppet show from the mid-90s, early mid-90s. Yeah. I remember watching and that as so well. So he did... Uh, Bill Beretta is... Uh, Pepe the Prawn. Okay. He is Bobo the Bear. So a lot of the kind of basically any of the characters that stood out post Jim, any of the ones that have survived mm-hmm. have all been kind of Bill Beretta voiced characters. And he spent a good like decade learning how to do Rolf's voice. It is not a natural voice for him. And that's part of why Rolf was gone for so long. Sure. Uh, and Bill really made it kind of a passion project to get close enough to bring it back. So he also does Dr. Teeth now. And there's a oh. lot of similarities between those two, I guess. There are. I, you can hear it a little, I think, in Bobo as well. Yeah. Yeah. The the modern the modern Dr. Teeth and the modern Rolf definitely have. You, you can hear that Bobo, <laughs> Bobo fringe to them, which is fair. Once you learn to recognize like Jim Henson's voice, there is very little differentiation between kermit the frog ernie on sesame street even rolf like you, you can you can hear his voice in there once you once you pick it up it's like that with any voiceover there's any number of like animated programs that are on now where i'm like oh i know like you it, at some point you stop 
it can be hard to like hear them as a character because you're so used to their voice and everything. You're like, Oh, that's just, that's just, well, I mean, for one that everybody's familiar with, that's just Troy Baker or that's, or that's such and such. So yeah, that's just Frank Welker. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. Or what's his name? Who voices like all of the Futurama characters? Oh, Billy West. Yeah. Billy West. Who once I recognized him and realized that he was both Doug and Roger Klotz mm-hmm. from the Nickelodeon or the the was it Nickelodeon Doug program? Doug was initially Nickelodeon, uh, then it went off the air, and Disney picked it up a few years later. Doug is also a weird like oh, wow is is like a weird thing from my childhood where like I was real into the Nickelodeon okay. Doug when that was a thing. Yeah, I really like Nickelodeon. I, I I may have been vaguely aware that there was a Disney revival, but I didn't. Re- I didn't remember that fact, but yeah. So Billy West is, I think both Doug and Roger. And once you hear it, you realize that you're just listening to Billy West argue with himself. And that's pretty amazing. There's a moment like that. And so in the original Muppet movie in the Muppet movie, there's a scene where Kermit and Miss Piggy have just been on their first date together. Right. And Steve Martin is the waiter. Okay. And shortly thereafter, Piggy leaves the date, leaving Kermit alone, and Kermit consoles himself in a bar where Rolf is playing the piano. Yeah, I know this clip. And there's a duet of a song called I Hope That Something Better Comes Along. It's a really fun song. It's a comic song. It's, It's very much got the Muppet sensibility, but it's a duet of Rolf and Kermit. And when you kind of process what that means, you realize that you're just listening to Jim Henson singing a duet with himself. (laughs) <laughs> that's a bit of a trip when you stop to consider what's going on there yeah it, it's really it's it's very charming it's a fun song well, that that whole movie though is it's just so are you familiar with there is a concept within the sort of broader Muppet fan community that is referred to as the Grand Muppet Unification Theory no but this uh, this <laughs> the, but please explain Please tell me more about this. So the Grand Muppet Unification Theory posits that the original Muppet show is effectively the true life of the Muppets, right? So the Muppet show always kind of presents itself as an actual variety show hosted by actual real life personalities known as the Muppets. Mm -hmm. And the Muppets have always kind of lived in that space where they operate under the suspension of disbelief, wherein we all agree that they're real celebrities. Sure. So Kermit the Frog shows up on talk shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Jim Henson, not Steve Whitmire. Kermit the Frog shows up. We all kind of agree. But the Muppet show is kind of considered cross the board to be what the real Muppets do. They put on the Muppet show. And then the original Muppet movie, the Muppet movie, the premise of that movie is Kermit is telling a story to his nephew, Robin, about how all of the Muppets met. Right. And from a continuity standpoint, everything connects and tracks. The original Muppet movie is kind of the prequel to the Muppet show from a continuity standpoint. Here's how all the Muppets got to know each other. And then once they got to know each other, they went to Hollywood. They signed the standard rich and famous contract and they started producing the Muppet show. Everything since then, according to the Grand Muppet Unification Theory, 
is a production that the Muppets are doing. Interesting. So the Muppets are now just a variety talent program, and they have produced movies like The Muppets Take Manhattan, The Great Muppet Caper, The Muppet Christmas Carol, all of which are stories that the Muppets are acting in. So in those movies, the Muppets are actors playing roles, as opposed to The Muppet Show or The Muppet Movie, where they are just telling their own stories and they are being themselves. Does that does that track? Yeah, I got you. It's like the it would be the Muppets Christmas Carol is like Roger and Hammerstein's blah blah blah. Right, <laughs> right exactly. So then there is some debate regarding the place of the 2011 movie The Muppets. I was going to ask because it does sort of position itself as a film that is examining the actual real life of the Muppets. And you can look at the Muppets Most Wanted, the lesser received sequel to that movie, Mm -hmm. again, as the Muppets sort of playing comedic roles, putting on a show as versions of. But the Muppets sort of positions itself to explain what happened to the Muppets in real life. And it's kind of a tragic movie in a lot of ways, because when it comes back, obviously we're rejoining the gang, having went their separate ways. And the heart of that movie is Walter and Kermit kind of asking the question, are the Muppets still relevant? Right. That that's, that's the, that's the question that the movie is positing. And it is positing that question in a, a narrative way. So that is a question that is part of the story of the movie, but it is also very obviously just Disney asking that question in real life. They're making this movie as a way of asking the broader audience, Hey, is this property still relevant? Do you guys still want to see this thing? Can Kermit the frog still make millions of people happy? It is both textual and metatextual. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting. And unfortunately, the broader answer seems to be not really. Oof, yeah. But, you know, who knows? The, the future is still the future. I did love that movie, though. It had, its, it had its weird, clunky places. It is not a perfect film, but that, I did really enjoy that movie as a Muppet review. I also enjoyed the 2011 mm. Muppets movie. We have jumped just all over the place. I'm... I'm I have fast forwarded us from being two years old and watching the Muppets take Manhattan all the dang way up to the 2011 Muppet movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that happens. And there's plenty in between there. So can we let's, is it worth maybe taking a minute to tackle to me, the most significant question surrounding the Muppets is kind of who Jim Henson was and what trying to do. Sure. I don't, I don't see why this wouldn't be a great time to get into that. So Jim was, and I don't know if you know this, Jim was the son of uh, very, very religious Unitarian, uh, I, I guess Christians is probably the right, right way to phrase that. Very, uh, And he grew up religious himself. Very religious Unitarians is just a weird dissonance. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying, to, <laughs> trying to square that circle in my head. True. Maybe the better way to say that is very faithful Unitarian. Sure. And while he did not kind of carry his faith over fully into his adult life, the sort of lessons and structures eventually kind of informed the 
almost the humanitarian religion that he built around his puppets. And I say that very lovingly. I have always said if I were to build my own religion, (laughs) the the two deities at the top would be Fred Rogers and Jim Henson. I mean, those are... I mean, if you're going to deify a couple of people, those are some, those, <laughs> right. those are a couple of good choices. Both of those people would be deeply unhappy with me suggesting that they were deities. Sure. So, you know, it wouldn't work. But so Jim Henson is a, he, he was a weird, trippy dude who, when he started making puppets, like way, way back in the public access days before they became the Muppets, as we know them, was very experimental, very countercultural. He very much leaned into his own sort of weird mod hippie vibe. And a lot of what he was doing with the Muppets was sort of playing with this medium to tell weird stories, to breathe life into poems and songs that he loved, to just sort of create. He was a dude who, and I think this is true of most of our best artists across any era he just desperately needed to create and this is the medium that he could work in and so he gave us not only the the muppets and and their supporting family but eventually these weird things like labyrinth and dark crystal mm-hmm. where you can see him sort of wanting to to push the boundaries of what he could do with the medium that he worked in and while the muppets eventually became a very family-friendly, childlike entertainment property. In their heyday, they were pushing creative boundaries. They were broadly countercultural. They were doing just weird stuff. I don't know if you know this. The pilot to The Muppet Show was called Sex and Violence. I do know that. I, I, have, I have heard this before. <laughs> I haven't seen the... I haven't seen the pilot. I don't think it's very fun. I I think it's available on YouTube. I know for certain it is a a special feature on the DVD release of season one of the Muppet show. Nice. And if you watch it, you can just feel Jim Henson gently poking his finger into the eye of like 1970s American television. (laughs) So it is gently making fun of all of the, tropes of what Hollywood was producing at the time. It was intentionally structured as a pitch to Hollywood executives. And it is very like baldly open about that. The Muppets are addressing the Hollywood executives within the context of the pitch, but it's a dude who very clearly wants these rich people in charge of television programs to make his show but he cannot stop making fun of them in the very pitch where he's asking for their money. It's an amazing thing. He carried that sort of wacky mayhem through the Muppets. When he made Fraggle Rock, he legitimately, you can go back and read his journals. They've published, uh, with the family's permission, they've published some of his show journals, to be clear, not his personal journals, but his working materials in designing the show. And his pitch for Fraggle Rock was he wanted to make a show that would end war. Well, <laughs> Which is, of course, absurd. That's bananas. Yeah. You can't do that his with a TV idea, show. <laughs> but his idea was he wanted to build a television program that had multiple strata of different cultures. So you had the Doozers, the Fraggles, and the Gorgs, mm-hmm. all of whom were sort of by nature 
enemies. They were neighbors, but their cultures distrusted each other. And across the arc of the five seasons of Fraggle Rock, it is revealed to all of these cultures that they are interdependent on each other, that they need each other to survive, and they slowly kind of realize the humanity in each other. So as the show goes on, not only do they realize that their perceived enemies are part of the fabric of the structure of the systems that let them exist... And not only do they need each other, but that their world is better when they break down the barriers that have, have historically been there and start to engage with each other. And so Doozers become friends with Fraggles. The Fraggles start to learn to talk to the Gorgs, who have always been their sort of historical enemies and oppressors. And this whole show is built intentionally to teach young children that all people need each other. And that at our heart, if we can get past the things that make us different, uh, we can we can not only learn from each other, but build these kind of fantastic new dynamics. And again, it's a really optimistic goal for a program, but but that is what's going on under that show. And that's pretty wild. Sure. Especially for a show about a bunch of puppets that live underground. <laughs> yeah. If part of part of what astounds me, and I think the Fraggles show it more than any of the others is the emotion that those puppeteers can wring out of what are effectively kind of glorified sock puppets <laughs> yeah and and part of the reason i think the fraggles are able to do that more in part it's just because it was all of the best of the puppeteers so it was dave goals it was steve whitmere it was karen prell it was uh it was jerry nelson kind of at their height they'd all been doing it for a while and they were all very good at it but also those puppets are smaller and more conformed to the size of a human hand so they can manipulate the faces a lot more mm-hmm. right so kermit makes much more expressive faces than Fozzie right. because Fozzie's head is a giant block of foam and Kermit's head is just a piece of felt draped over a fist. Sure. And so the Fraggles are much closer to that Kermit model. And so they are very, very emotive puppets and they can really uh, manipulate the audience in a very positive way. Those puppets can act in a very real way. That's it's a little kind of surreal. And anyway, that's so I am at this point just now rambling about, <laughs> about Fraggle Rock. Uh, that's but that's, that's, I that's mean, fun. let's just be real. That's what this program is going to be, is me fixating on various things that I love about the Muppets and ranting about them for a while. Yes, that is that you, you have given a good synopsis for what this show is. Good job. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so. There's just this weird, and it's true of the Muppets, it's true of early Sesame Street, it's true of Fraggle Rock, there's this weird sort of manic, playful, cautiously revolutionary energy that undergirds the Henson era of all of that, that is endlessly charming to me. And I grew up, to be clear, in the very end of it. So Jim Henson died when I was nine. Oof. I remember it happening. It was it was a, a thing. But my initial engagement with the Muppets was Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock during Jim's era and then the movies. Eventually, the Muppet show, when I was real little, I didn't have a context for understanding it. 
but I kind of learned to love the Muppets in that space where I think everyone would agree that they were doing their best work. So the Muppets found their footing early. And by the time you get to the late seventies, early eighties, you've got Jim and all of his very best friends, not only operating kind of at the top of their, their technical uh, prowess. So they're all just very, very, very good puppeteers at this point, Mm -hmm. but they are a group of very close friends who have been performing together now for two decades. And so the emotional exchange between the characters is really charged. You know, Jim and Frank are best friends and Dave and Jerry, uh, Louise and Karen to some degree, Fran Brill on Sesame Street and Carol Spinney. These are all people who have now been working together for a good stretch of time. And they are just all at the top of their craft by the time you get to like late seventies through uh, mid eighties, Fraggle Rock or Sesame Street, rather the whole run of Fraggle Rock, the very last stuff that the Muppets made. And that's the era that I kind of grew up in. In. So the Muppets to me were this weird magical space that I, I don't know why. I know for some people puppets are an immediate turn off, mm-hmm. and, and I get that. I I have learned to come to terms with the fact that not everyone is going to love these characters the way I do. It took me a while. I I, I still there's a <laughs> part of my brain that still wants to ask people like what 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 isn't getting through to you? This is magic. Like there's something. <laughs> There is a living, breathing energy inside of this thing that is trying to make you and me and everyone better. Why can't you touch that? But I have just learned that, that it doesn't speak to everyone that way. Uh, my wife included. My wife likes the Muppets. She does not understand my sort of um, spiritual, emotional connection to them. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, so that window was just a really magic time. And I think you and I may have discussed this over Christmas. I can't remember. I was discussing it with somebody. One of the last things that Jim did with the Muppets was the Muppet, the Muppet family, family Christmas. Christmas. Yes. Yes. So that was you. I was talking about this. Totally. Before. Okay. And, and in that window, it, it brings together the Sesame Street Muppets and Fraggle Rock and the, the sort of main Muppet family. And just everything about that special is magical. And you can really feel all of the performers. And no one knew Jim was dying. You know, Jim didn't know he was dying. It was a weird sickness that, that kind of got him at the last minute. But everyone kind of put just a little something magic into that show and you can i swear you can feel it when you watch it and and i think it it has something to do with all of those characters coming together Uh, and because ernie and kermit sound so similar jim's putting just like a little extra ernie into ernie so you can (laughs) feel it distinguish and that's just it's so beautiful and and it is a must watch for me every year and it's really it is the very pinnacle in some ways of, of what the Muppets want to be at their best. I had, it's not something that I grew up with. I definitely grew up with the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh yeah. And so this one kind of flew under my radar until recently. And then I, I watched it. Yeah. Over this last like Christmas holiday, um, a friend of mine, 
sent me a link for it because um, it's it's on YouTube. You can you can find I'm up at Family Christmas on YouTube, mm-hmm. and I watched it all there, and then spoke with you about it like probably just like shortly after having watched it. <laughs> uh, and we uh, while we were discovering, we're slowly this just one person. We're just we're just we're just the <laughs> right. same dude. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it was, um, it was surreal. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the Fraggles, but I think the Fraggles are one of my favorite parts of that movie. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many of those characters are just captured so well within that. that and it's a short feature. It's like, it's less than an hour long. It's like 40 minutes yeah. or something. And every character that they represent that is represented there that shows up that has a line you it you're they distill that character into the purest form of itself so quickly that um i think even if you were coming to this new and you didn't like i did i didn't know the fraggles it characterized so many of those characters just immediately for the audience um so whenever you say that they're kind of like at the height of their powers at 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 that point in their career uh, yeah, I, I do think you can feel it uh, as somebody who didn't have like that context going into it. Um, I think you mentioned shortly after I'd watched that, you're like, this is one of the last things that Jim did before he died. Um, for me and for the listener, how did Jim die? Do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So that special kind of ends on a scene of Jim Henson himself in the kitchen watching over all of the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'm sure it was just a cute, you know, a cute thing for them to do. In hindsight, it becomes this beautiful moment because it's a man looking at his family, you know, his creations, the Muppets, mm-hmm. and then all of the performers that he has spent a lifetime growing with and learning to love and building this creation with. And they've just made this celebratory movie that just revels in the thing that they made together. And that thing closes on Jim looking out over his people saying, Hey, they're having a good time out there. Sprocket. He's talking to Sprocket, the dog dog from Fraggle Rock. They're having a good time out there. Sprocket. I love it when they have a good time. And retrospectively, that's such a beautiful and sad moment Yeah, because it's sort of putting a bookend on Jim Henson's life and career with the Muppets. So in, in, in 1990, uh, Jim Henson, he, he was on an episode of, I I think it was Arsenio. I'd have to go back and and double check that he was on a, a talk show. Okay. And he had been talking to his people, his management saying, I'm a little, I'm a little tired. I'm really weary lately. I've had this weird sore throat. I think we may need to cancel some upcoming appearances. And less than a week later, he finally broke down to see a doctor. He'd been ignoring it apparently for a while, just presuming it would get better. Uh, he, can- they- he went to see a doctor. He canceled some events that were coming. Uh, and- and- and literally the next day, he woke up, I think, coughing blood. And Ooh. and told his estranged wife, who was attending to him because he was suddenly very ill, that he thought he was dying. And so they took him to a hospital 
and and he passed away. He had just got a really nasty viral infection in his lungs and that it developed these like giant abscesses that that he ignored forever because you know he just thought he was tired and it was going to get better. Mm-hmm. And you know, that that was that. He just died of this crazy, like weird bacterial pneumonia or something. Yeah. Ultimately, I if I were if I remember correctly, it was like toxic shock as a result of whatever that virus was. But it was just, he was just like, he was living his life. He was doing his Jim Henson thing. He was appearing on talk shows. And he just said to his family, Hey, I, I think I feel a little ill. And he died a day later. Damn. That's, that's so fast. And that is, that is rough. So he died, this is like May of 1990. And, Richard Hunt, who was one of the core Muppets, so he was one of the very best friends. There was Jim Henson and Frank Oz that everyone remembers, right? They are Ernie and Bert. They are Kermit and Fozzie. <laughs> they they are kind of the Muppets. Uh, then there's also Jerry Nelson, who was basically everybody else. Jerry was Gobo Fraggle. He was Robin the Frog. He was Count Von Count in like half of Sesame Street. Jerry Nelson, any character that exhibits that sort of heartfelt pathos on the Muppets, that's Jerry. That's just, that is Jerry doing that character. Nice. And and then uh, Richard Hunt, who was kind of probably primarily Scooter, but he was a lot of Sesame Street characters he was a lot of Fraggle Rock characters. He was he was the guy inside, right? He was. Jim always described Richard Hunt as the, the heart of their team. So he was, he was the guy that loved everybody. He was he was in a lot of ways sort of the emotional nexus, of the original Muppeteers, uh, and at a time in the seventies when this was a much bigger thing, he was also openly gay. Hmm. And uh, Jim was profoundly supportive of that. And that's part of kind of what drew them together, I think, uh, was the Muppets and the Muppet family was this space that loved Richard unapologetically, very openly, kind of let him be himself and discover himself and really be open with who he was. And Richard talked very lovingly about a lot of that. And it's worth looking up if you're ever so inclined. But Richard Hunt, who was the like the emotional heart of the Muppets in a lot of ways, uh, died um, of HIV/AIDS complications uh, about a year and a half after Jim died. So, kind of back to back, you lose the soul of the Muppets and the heart of the Muppets. And if you if you ever pay attention at the the opening of the Muppet Christmas Carol, there's this this kind of title card that says for Jim and Richard. And of course, everyone knows Jim Henson, but Richard Hunt had passed away in the same window of time, and it really just gutted the Muppets in a lot of ways. Damn. Yeah, it's it's a real weird. It's a real. That's. I mean, just. That's brutal. <laughs> that, it, that was that's just that story alone was such a roller coaster because like to be affirming when it was uh, not easy to be affirming of. Of, of homosexual people uh, like that i'm so glad that he had that sort of like support and that love from that community and then t- and then for that to dovetail into to what most because fucking reagan the story is for most of the homosexual community <laughs> of that time period he died of of aids um mm-hmm. 
what a damn what a what a gut punch um yeah it's if we had hours it'd be really worth just an entire podcast of telling uh, richard hunt stories because there's there's some really good ones that especially from the muppet show era there there's just some one of my favorites we'll just we'll touch very briefly so is a, a a famous soviet uh ballet dancer mm-hmm. which was a thing in in the time because you know we're still in the cold war granted the dying era of the still in the cold war there's this famous uh soviet ballet dancer named rudolf nuriev who was a a big deal a because of of being a, a very talented ballet dancer but also mm-hmm. because he was openly gay in soviet russia sure and he was one of the guests on the Muppet Show, uh, and apparently he and Richard Hunt just shamelessly flirted the entire time they were filming. <laughs> and there's some really fun stories to hearing Jim and Frank just kind of talk about the very obvious chemistry between those two dudes. Oh, that's great! That it, especially <laughs> the height of the Cold War. That that I, so right? so many people I grew up with would be so mad about everything involved with that story. well if if you want to make it even better one of richard hunt's good buddies uh, who still talks very lovingly about him was mark hamill luke skywalker was a real pal oh nice yeah i'm sure you you probably remember from when we were kids there was a window of time where star wars characters appeared on like sesame street and the muppet show (laughs) Uh uh-huh and in that time, I guess, Mark just became very close friends with Jim and kind of the whole Muppet crew. And he and Richard stayed good pals kind of through the end. Nice. That's heartwarming. Yeah, it is. And, and it really carrying that with you really informs, I think, viewing of the Muppet Christmas Carol, which is by any measure one of the best movies that that the Muppets have produce i was gonna say after losing two of your like key members like that to put out what in many people's minds is the best muppet movie and the best version of a christmas carol immediately after all that it's just <laughs> it, that's incredible that's it that's astounding that they were able to pull something like that off yeah it's it's why and so for years everything that the muppets did was written by a man named jerry jewel mm-hmm. and jerry jewel only passed away very recently and Jerry was still kind of at the height of his powers, so he wrote, obviously, an incredible script. Within that, Paul Williams, who was a, a famous Hollywood composer, but who also just scored a lot of Muppet stuff, he did. He showed up on The Muppet Show, like he was a, he was a guest host once or twice, mm-hmm. and he wrote a lot of the Muppet music, wrote the music for Muppet Christmas Carol. So the framework, the bones of this thing are still being created by dudes who knew the Muppets inside and out, who really were the Muppets in a lot of ways. So Jim was gone and Richard was gone, but his best friends and and the guys who kind of shaped his movies for him were still there and doing it. So they, they built this kind of beautiful skeleton of a movie and it is carried by Gonzo and Rizzo. So Kermit's a character, but for the first time, Kermit's not the lead of, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Miss Piggy is a character, but if you pay attention, she has a very small role. Even more diminished is uh Fozzie who is barely in it. Uh, and then the electric mayhem who are sort of in the background that if you really watch that movie, 
the movie is 100% carried by Gonzo and Rizzo. Mm-hmm. And, and that was very deliberately done because Steve Whitmere was still finding his voice as Kermit. The reason there was a bit of a delay to even coming to the movie was Steve took about a year before he kind of debuted Kermit's voice. Sure. And he and so let me step back for a second. Steve Whitmere is the youngest of the original Muppeteers. So the, the original Muppets were Jim and Frank, uh, Jerry Nelson, Dave Goals, Richard Hunt, all the dudes we've been talking about. And in the penultimate season of The Muppet Show, this young kid named Steve Whitmere joined the cast. He was 19 when he came on board. All right. So all of the rest of them were like their mid-30s going into their 40s. And then Steve Whitmere, who weirdly shares a birthday with Jim Henson. They were born on the same day. Oh, wow. And growing up, he told all of his friends that he wanted to be Kermit the Frog when he grew up, to the extent that his high school yearbook has Kermit imprinted on the front of it. That's awesome. So he, so Steve Whitmere just kind of willed this thing into existence. Oh, he so did. That's so cool. And joined the Muppet Show, you know, in its latter years and created his, his first character with Rizzo. He created Rizzo. And he and Dave Goals, who does Gonzo, had a real solid chemistry. They played off of each other very, very well. So Jim dies, Richard dies, uh, and Frank Oz essentially kind of talked to the Muppet folks and said, look, I'll do this, but it is very, very hard for me to be in the Muppets without Jim. You know, he is my life mate in a lot of ways. So he had a very reduced role. And Jerry Jewell, the writer, very cleverly leaned into the conspicuous chemistry that Dave Goals had with the new kid. Uh, and you thus get Gonzo and Rizzo mm-hmm. carrying the Muppets. And at that point, in a lot of ways, Gonzo sort of becomes the soul of the Muppets for, for a long time. He definitely felt like the soul of the Muppets through at least the early part of the nineties. Yeah. And, and I think that's because Steve was sort of, he was finding Kermit and Steve's Kermit is ultimately a lot more, gentle mm-hmm. uh steve's kermit becomes more of this father figure and it's a big aspect of what jim's kermit was but jim's kermit also had this manic frenetic energy he would shout at his friends he would have these weird kind of uh personal meltdowns <laughs> that steve's kermit eventually smoothed out but the dynamic of of what carried the Muppets through was Dave and Steve, who were still original Muppet performers. You know, they grow they they had grown their craft together over a couple of seasons of the Muppet Show, and and importantly, both kind of understood the comedic and cultural sensibilities of what the Muppets did. So the Muppet Christmas Carol is written and scored by people who know and love the Muppets. And then it is really carried by Dave and Steve who basically become the heart of the Muppets moving forward. That Gonzo Rizzo dynamic mm-hmm. sort of leads them. You see it again in Muppet treasure Island. Gonzo and Rizzo are very much leading the cast. Uh-huh. And as Steve becomes more comfortable being Kermit, Kermit kind of emerges again into a more prominent role but even there, a lot of the pairings that we get with Kermit 
become with Dave goals driven characters. And over the years, Frank Oz will eventually step back completely, which I get it's difficult. I'm sure for him to be around the Muppets. Sure. Uh, without without Jim there and Jerry Nelson died a few years ago so it really at this point whittled down to to very few of the originals being there but in that in that first moment I think they had an opportunity to take everyone who knew and and loved Jim and they very much created a movie that was in a lot of ways letter to to Jim Henson it, it was them all kind of coming together in his memory and in Richard Hunt's to produce this thing to sort of see their friends off. And I think that energy, while it certainly isn't part of the story, they're just telling a Christmas carol. Mm-hmm. I think the the love and compassion and heartbreak that went into creating that movie really is part of what instills it with this sort of magic that we all recognize it has. Even people who don't particularly like the Muppets Uh like Muppet Christmas Carol. And I really have to believe that in some way that's because they, they found the way to put the last of Jim and Richard's soul into that movie. And it just, ah, it's astounding. Yeah. There's this, there's an ineffable quality to that movie where it is just, it is so good and so adored by Everybody, I don't. If you are listening to this listener right now and you don't like that movie, I don't believe you because everybody loves that movie. <laughs> yeah. I have not met a single human being, like even people who don't like watch the Muppets, have seen that movie and love that movie. So that's amazing. Yeah. That uh, I, I can't get over that after such a loss in in both Jim and Richard that they pulled something together like that and that they. They fucking nailed it. Like it's it's so good. <laughs> um, it is. And yeah, I hadn't I hadn't kind of put that together that uh, that Gonzo and Rizzo kind of. Well, I mean, in in Treasure Island, like literally took the sh- control of the ship. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yep. for for that that time period shortly afterwards, uh, I I think even in. Muppets in space, they were pivotal roles. Like those were, yeah, they drove that movie. Absolutely. They did. And it's, and, and Jerry Jewell, uh, who wrote those movies talks very openly. And according to Jerry, he, he says that Gonzo's kind of always been the soul of the Muppets, uh, dating back to the original Muppet movie. When Gonzo has this really poignant song, it's, it's called, I'm going to go back there someday. Mm-hmm. And while the Muppets are silly and wacky and fun, in the heart of this silly and wacky and fun movie is this very pensive song about a very solitary being trying to sort out his place in the universe. And Jerry says that's kind of the moment he locked on when he was moving Gonzo into the saying that that's kind of always been Gonzo's role is to been sort of the esoteric soul of the Muppet. So he just kind of dug into that piece of the character and pushed it up to the front, which was uh, in retrospect, extraordinarily clever. Mm -hmm. It really works with a character like Gonzo too, because he is so obtuse and weird up front that (laughs) when, when, when that veneer cracks and they, they are more heartfelt and they, it is more, of a vulnerable moment like that song is in the original Muppet movie. Right. It super works. 
um, it's, 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 it takes you back because you don't expect that every character like that. And on top of that, like, <laughs> yeah, they nailed the performance. I watched that along with a handful of other videos prior to just to refresh myself and because you had posted them mm. in order to <laughs> sure. kind of catch up before this conversation because I have been away from the Muppets for a long time. Um, have I grew up with them and they have a special place in my heart and I was stoked whenever they came back in 2011. But yeah, I have I have a lot of just <laughs> blank spaces uh, yeah. from not visiting it for so long. But I really do love them. So there's a moment in that original Muppet movie, which again is, it has positioned itself to be telling the story of how the Muppets met, mm-hmm. where Gonzo is holding onto a bunch of balloons and has floated into the sky. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the Muppet gang, which I think at that time may have just been Kermit, Fozzie, and maybe Miss Piggy were in the vehicle at the time, were chasing him down, trying to stay underneath him. And that is the moment that the song I'm going to go back there someday is built on. So the the explanation for the character is in that moment of weightlessness, Gonzo has his first kind of internal self-awakening. Where, where something inside of him has recognized that this is where he belongs. So we know Gonzo the crazy daredevil. That's, that's, that's how we know Gonzo. And in this moment of sort of exhilarating, thrill-riding weightlessness, Gonzo, a weirdo, a, a <laughs> literal one-of-a-kind being who does not have anyone like him, has found a moment in the universe where he has felt at home and he has spent the rest of his life chasing that moment. And that's what that song's about is I have to get back there. I have to find that again. And that is the pathos of what drives Gonzo for literally the rest of the time we know him is chasing that one solitary moment where he belonged to a thing. Mm -hmm. There's this great moment that uh, is stepping back a second. There's this great moment that Dave Goals, who is the puppeteer behind gonzo and at this point the last original muppeteer so he is the only one still puppeting with the muppets from from jim's team when the muppet show originally launched gonzo was a leftover puppet from i think they had done a performance of the frog prince they did some early kind of tv specials and one of them was the frog prince and it starred kermit and there was this race of nonsense beings called the Frackles. And Gonzo had just been the cigar box frackle. And when they made the Muppet show, Jim put this cigar box frackle into this kind of purple suit and gave it to Dave Goals and said, we're going to call this guy Gonzo, you know, find the character. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> right, right. If, if you watch the early, like the first season of the Muppet show, Kermit and Rolf are already distilled. Like we already know who they are. Jim has figured them out. Miss Piggy is really, she takes a while to come around. Fozzie is in a proto form, but Gonzo is really off. His voice is strange. They haven't really found his character. And Dave Goals talks about a sketch they did where there were a bunch of chickens on stage, which is not unusual (laughs) for the Muppets. But on the back end of this sketch, as the chickens are leaving and he's telling them effectively like, yeah, sorry, uh, you're not what we're looking for. He yells at one of the chickens. Dave Goals just kind of improvs. Hey, nice legs, though. 
And according to Dave, that's the moment where he found Gonzo's character. And I don't know why. I don't know why Gonzo being attracted to a chicken is the moment that Dave Goals figured out who <laughs> Gonzo was. But that's what did it. And obviously, that's where the relationship with Camilla is born. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting to think now that he is Dave Goals, who I imagine has to be approaching 80, is still he's he's the last man standing, which is weird and sad, but kind of cool, too, that he's the one still going. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be like the last domino to to fall yeah that's gonna be a heavy day a number of years ago now seven eight years ago maybe more he was doing a live performance at a library in st louis i I don't know why Uh, it's it's a big library system in st louis and one of my old college roommates is a librarian in st louis Mm -hmm. and this was happening at his library so i found out about it the day before the show and I just drove out to Philadelphia and got on a plane and flew to St. Louis <laughs> so that I could meet Gonzo. Like you do. And it remains one of one of the highlights of my life. Dave Goals was charming and he talked a little bit. Uh, and, then, and then he just did most of the thing in character as Gonzo. And it was, um, I just, I spent the whole time just with this really stupid smile on my face. But it was such a charming moment. And Everyone who's ever worked with the Muppets talks about how the performers fall away and the Muppets become real Mm -hmm. Uh, to the extent that Michael Caine famously talks about how he would talk to Gonzo between scenes as if he were just a co-star, like the the director would call cut and Michael Caine would would turn to talk to Gonzo and they would just have a conversation until the next scene would start. Oh, that's so cool. It's amazing. These characters, they live and, and a big part of why is because they've always been kind of carefully protective of their identities and there's always been one performer each puppet so they they kind of control them and they feel consistent but that happened so i I was watching gonzo i could literally see dave goals he was right there but gonzo came to life it was amazing it it, and the audience was talking to him and carrying on and it very much was at a at a point in the show you forgot that there was a human there driving that puppet because it was just it was Gonzo. I've seen him in movies. I've seen him on television. I just, I met him in real life. He was very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be sad when he goes because that's, that'll, that'll be it for any connection back to Jim. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, I, I'm a little envious. That, that sounds pretty awesome to be able to, especially, <laughs> especially at his age. Like, you gotta, you, like, just realistically, there's not gonna be a whole lot of, more opportunities for something like that for people who love this thing uh, to meet yeah, someone who is, especially in that, that specific case has created basically out of nothing an iconic character uh, <laughs> because, because your boss yeah. threw a puppet and said, Hey, figure it out. At, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he joined the Muppets around the time of the Muppet show and, and he's, he's been with them. I don't know, since at least the early seventies, Speaking of that new, uh, that new Muppet Babies show, like Gonzo does not sound or feel like Gonzo to me <laughs> on that show at all, and that's another thing about me that like about it that annoys me. I'm like, why? That something's this isn't right. Something's wrong with this this character. Yeah, yeah. In in the cartoon, they were. I mean, they were very obviously played by the Muppet Babies. Were played by not the Muppet performers. It was. Mm-hmm. 
I think Frank Welker was involved. And weirdly, Dave Coulier did a bunch of those voices. <laughs> I think Katie Lee was was one of the voices. So, you know, Hollywood voice actors, but they all felt consistent with the, at, at least with the kind of characterization and performance of the adult version of the puppets. And this new one to me, it feels like someone else is wearing their skin. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. It's weird. It's definitely weird. <laughs> I think like, well, this might be a tangent here, but, but <laughs> speaking of that program in particular, like I think maybe piggy gets the closest to the character for me, but I also don't. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. I don't, I don't like Miss Piggy as a character. Um, and I know this is, this is, this is a controversial <laughs> statement for people who love the Muppets, but like, she's just, she's just an abusive self entitled hog of a woman. Like what, what I, <laughs> you're like, if you're a real human being, like, yeah, you're funny. And I get the tropes you're playing on, but like, if you're a real human person or a real Muppet person, what? However you want to look at it, <laughs> right, right? If we're to believe she's real, like we're to believe Gonzo is real, and that that Kermit is real, whenever people are embodying these characters, I don't like Miss Piggy as a sentient creature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult, and she's always been a challenge, but she has particularly suffered since Frank Oz left. So when Frank Oz was doing her. And again, because the man had real chemistry with Jim Henson, there are moments between Kermit and Piggy, especially, where there is a self-awareness to Miss Piggy that isn't present elsewhere, where the pretense will kind of drop and you can see like the country pig who is wearing this this diva costume because she's made it big. Mm-hmm. They're they're few and far between, but when Frank was doing it, you at least had a little bit of that sense. When okay. and, and without getting too too into it, when the Muppets no longer belonged to Jim, they started to become imitations of themselves, which is understandable, right? Mm-hmm. Kermit the Frog was Jim Henson. And Steve Whitmere very literally apprenticed under Jim, so he could get a lot closer than anyone else was going to. Sure. But there's no getting around the fact that Steve is doing an impression of Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. Kermit the Frog, as a very original character, died when Jim Henson died because they were the same person. Mm-hmm. And so the Muppets all are, as the original performers die, they all are becoming imitations of who they were and that's the biggest challenge disney has had with them and and frankly they haven't solved it yet is because the muppets were created to be characters who existed in real life they became real life celebrity to us they they were they had had personalities and they had foibles and quirks and they lived and breathed and grew and they have now become sort of they're playing the best of all of the time. Mm -hmm. So Miss Piggy now is no longer fused with the full personality that Frank Oz gave her. There's somewhat Bill Beretta uh, doing a very good Frank Oz impersonation. And that's fine. 
but because he wasn't the guy who brought her to life, mm-hmm. what he's doing is hitting the big beats. And so since Frank stepped away, all we have from Miss Piggy is this obnoxious self-entitled diva, and we don't have any of the depth <laughs> of character. In the same way that I would argue that Kermit became almost too too much of a sweetheart after Jim died. Mm-hmm. So we we get all of his sweet and light and making millions of people happy, but we don't get any of the anxiety and mania that underpinned Jim's Kermit. And I think of all of them, Miss Piggy suffers the most because the like the central tenets on which her character is built, as you say, are are kind of garbage. <laughs> She's a garbage pig. <laughs> And and so when you're when you're doing a recreation of Fozzie, it's it's oh he tells silly jokes and they're never funny. And when you're doing a recreation of Kermit, it's oh he's he's the heart, everyone loves him, and he's the dad. Uh, and when you're doing a recreation of Rolf, he's just the guy at the piano. When you're doing a recreation of Piggy, she's this crazy egomaniacal diva. It's broad strokes that lack. A lot of the nuance and until you had mentioned this i didn't realize that i too had picked up on the fact that that nervous energy that is in kermit in the early years is not there anymore like he still has melancholic moments but there's that nervous energy that underpinned a lot of those the early films in the muppet show isn't there so this is the thing jim liked to talk about from time to time that has faded from the understanding of kermit is that Kermit believes in himself. He is optimistic and he believes in his friends. That is the thing that the thing that informs everything that Jim Henson did is is the notion that if you believe in each other, you can become more. Uh, so that was certainly there for Kermit. But Jim also would mention from time to time that Kermit had what we would now call uh, mental health issues. He had anxiety and he suffered from depression. Uh, and that was a thing that informed Kermit. Kermit's creativity was, as as is true for a lot of performers, born from this place of self-doubt and this kind of anxious need to assert himself on the universe to prove that he exists, right? Everything that Kermit does, the reason he's trying to make millions of people happy is because he's trying to justify his existence to himself. Uh, and, I, and when that gets stripped away from Kermit, fine but it's the same thing that happened to mickey mouse he just becomes this kind of cutesy smiley character that everybody loves but that really doesn't have that depth to him that he may be used to and that was the first half of our conversation with mark about the muppets i'm dan ellis i'm on twitter at dellis mulligan and the show is at mindful self pod see you guys in a couple weeks